Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was a professional thief. In the Wild West, his name evoked fear everywhere he went, or was rumored to be. He was especially a terror to the Wells Fargo stagecoach line, which he robbed multiple times, storming in like a tornado, spooking most of the ruggedest of cowboys, his reign of terror lasting from 1875 to 1883. He stole hundreds of thousands of dollars, which sounds like a lot of money today. It was an astronomical amount of money back then. The interesting thing is the victims never saw him. No artist ever sketched him. No sheriff could track him. His name? Black Bart. John introduces us ourselves to another Black Bart. And if you've ever felt shame or disgrace, it was probably his whisper that crushed your heart. If you've ever felt alone and been abandoned, it was all according to his plan. If you ever felt useless and up to no good, it was probably his accusing finger that was wagging in your face. And he doesn't want your money. He comes to kill and to destroy everything. His name? Guilt. I doubt there's anyone on the planet who doesn't know guilt. It's a quagmire of remorse. An ongoing note to self that you are worthless. That they will eventually see through your veil. What sucked you in? What sucked you under? Was it a one-night stand? A backstreet brawl? Did you take something that wasn't yours? Were you slovenly with somebody else's goods? Maybe your sin wasn't a moment in time where you made the bad decision. Maybe it was a broader thing. Maybe it was longer. Maybe you failed as a parent. Maybe you blew your career. Did you squander something? Your money? Did you squander your youth? Maybe a marriage? In this series called Witnesses to Christ, today we meet Peter. Peter, who's got enough guilt to go around. Peter's in the courtyard of the high priest. And in that courtyard, Peter comes face to face with guilt. To get some context, we have to rewind the tape just a little bit. Go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Here we see Peter claim, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. In the other Gospels, Peter almost says that he's not a chump, not like these other disciples. I'll be there to the very end. Three years earlier, Jesus is walking on the north shore of Galilee, he sees a couple of fishermen fishing, Peter and his brother Andrew, and he calls him. He says, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. One of the first groups. About a year later, Peter follows Jesus out into the sea in Galilee in a stormy night. They see Jesus walking on the water. Peter says, if it's you, Lord, call me out. And Peter goes. 
He's walking on the water until he, he takes his eyes off Jesus and flounders, and Jesus saves him life. He saves him from eternal death. A couple of years later, Peter takes him and James and John and they see and witness the glory of the transfiguration. They meet Elijah and Moses. Jesus invites the same tree of witnesses to add to see his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. What I'm getting at there is Peter believes, Peter fully believes that he and Jesus are in this together. He is one of the inner three out of the inner 12. And nothing can shake him from this. And I think we've all made that claim. We've all made that claim. We've all made promises that we broke. We've all thought that we were in this together and it turns out that maybe we weren't. Confirmation. Do you intend to live according to the word of God in faith and word and remain true to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit even until death? Every confirmation kit I've ever confirmed all said, absolutely, yes, I will. Easier said than done. Will you take this man to be your wedded husband? And the women say, I will. I do, depending on what year. Means the same. Do you take this woman to be your wedded wife? I do. I will. Making the promise is the easy part, isn't it? As the events in the courtyard unfold, it's like watching cracks in a foundation spread. Servant girl, as he's coming in, says, weren't you one of this guy's disciples? No, not me. <laughs> Must have been thinking of some other Galilean. Peter then stands by the fire to warm himself, and some of the bystanders say unto him, You were also not one of his disciples, weren't you? He denied it. No, I'm not. Second crack. And where there's enough cracks, the foundation's eventually going to give way. You put enough cracks into anything, and it will eventually give way. And here it is. One of Malchus's relatives who was there I'm going to tell you, you see, you see a wild-eyed Galilean fisherman with a sword in his hand. It, it tends to lead an impression, especially when he tries to lop off your cousin's head. Didn't I see you? I'm pretty sure I saw you. Peter again denies it. And immediately the rooster crows. Let those words sink in. guilt blaring there in the night. For us, the collapse happens when we think, well, just one more drink, just one more lie, one more fling, one more angry word, one more skipped birthday, one more look, one more crack, one more crack, one more crack, just one more crack. And if you put enough cracks into any foundation of anything, it will break down. It will collapse always. And with that collapse comes the G word, guilt. You brought this on yourself. Who loves leftovers? Now be honest. Some people like leftovers. Leftovers. 
My house never had leftovers. Well, even when I was a when I was a kid, my mother didn't believe in leftovers. That's one of those things she feels guilty about. She made us eat everything. She'd cook it, we ate all of it. Turns out my brother and I are large men. <laughs> she bears some of that guilt, right? She said, you took it, you eat it. Yes, mama. With three children in my own house, we rarely had leftovers for the most part. Whatever we cooked was pretty much got eight. Nowadays, it's almost always leftovers. It's hard to go from feeding five to feeding two or one and a half or one and a half or three and three quarters or however many people we got running around now. I mean, Nicole's off at, off at Disney at an internship. I call it slave camp. She's off at slave camp. Richard and Nicole, or Richard and Lauren, work so much, you, you never tell if they're going to be around, if they're going to eat anything, and they're usually wagging around pizzas that they've just found on the side of the road or in the car or wherever. They just bring pizzas home. Nowadays, it's, it's hard. We end up with leftovers all the time. If I, I tell you what, if I cook one chicken, man, if I take one chicken, cook one chicken, that leads to chicken tonight, chicken sandwiches tomorrow, chicken soup, chicken casserole, chicken souffle, chicken salad. Just, the chicken just comes everywhere. Forget about it. If I put chicken in the smoker, I'll eat chicken for a month. I don't like leftovers. Certainly not that much. Peter, after that rooster crows, feels like leftovers. Like a burnt up, wore out, leftover, three-day-old piece of chicken, a has-been, a marginalized, a left-out, rejected, forgotten, way back in the back of the refrigerator, open it up and look at it and go, I don't know, maybe. That's what guilt does to us. It, it turns us gray, disgusting, and broken, miserable, and, and weary, duplicitous and stretched out and stressed out. Who loves leftovers? If not God. But God takes leftovers and turns it into grace. And how does that happen? You fast forward out of chapter 18, out of chapter 19, and you go on to John chapter 21 where Jesus tells and asks Peter if he loves him on the Sea of Galilee. Three times Jesus says, do you love me? Three times, Peter. Three times Peter has to answer that question. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Peter confesses his guilt. That's what the faith in Jesus Christ can breed within us. It breeds that love. It breeds that confidence in the good news of Jesus Christ, in the knowledge that we have plenty of guilt to go around, but that the sin that that guilt created has been atoned for on the cross of Christ. And Jesus doesn't wait until we get it all together. 
Jesus doesn't wait until we fix those cracks in that foundation ourselves. Jesus doesn't wait until we overcome our temptations, until we've, we've fought off all of our own demons. God has shown his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sin. In the courtyard, we see guilt. Beyond the courtyard, we can see the cross of Christ. We see grace, and we see what that grace means to us. It means a comeback. Who preaches that sermon on Pentecost? But Peter. Restored as the leader of the twelve. Who preaches that sermon on Pentecost where 3,000 followers are added to that which is the way? Peter, who knows full well how important that forgiveness is. Who writes two books of the Bible that we, we listen to? Who befriended Mark after Paul said, that's enough, I don't want anything more to do with Mark? Who was the one who took Mark under his wing? Mark who writes a gospel for us. Listen closely. Comebacks do not depend on how much we love Jesus. Depends on how much Jesus loves you. Comebacks does not depend upon what we've done for Jesus. It depends on what Jesus has done for you. Comebacks don't depend upon us giving our lives to Jesus. It depends upon Jesus giving his life for you. Remember Black Bart? He was finally caught. And the funny thing is, when they caught him, he was really nothing to be afraid of at all. When the authorities finally did track him down, they didn't find some bloodthirsty bandit. He was a mild-mannered businessman from Decatur, Illinois. In fact... This man pictured storming through the Wild West on horseback was so afraid of being thrown by a horse, he didn't even ride one. He rode around in a horse-drawn buggy. A little horse-drawn buggy. That's how he got a black part. He's like, come on, giddy up, giddy up. Black Bart was Charles Bowles, a bandit who, by the way, never fired a shot. And they know he never fired a shot because he was afraid of guns. He never loaded his. He was afraid he'd shoot himself with it. He didn't even load it. He didn't have any bullets in the gun. See guilt for who it really is. A dead monster. That painful feeling that can do no harm. No doubt. A tormentor of souls, to be sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. He will torment you as much as you will let him, but he's also a defeated enemy, and he has no bullets left in his gun. He can do you no harm. What's that mean for us? It means that our story isn't over when Jesus is in it. That's the great part of our story, that we can come back from guilt by the greatest G word of all, grace of Jesus Christ that covers all of our sins removes them as far as the east is from the west and it makes guilt a powerless enemy 
In Jesus' name, amen.